All right. Well, I'm ready when, <laughs> whenever other people are ready. Okay. Ready. Ready. Is he? We. Oui. <laughs> William? My cat. <laughs> no, like, okay. I didn't think about your question. I simply just responded naturally, and that's what came out. So I think Liam I think, also yeah, responded. So did Liam. Right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Liam responded very naturally. Well, hello, and welcome back to the One L Two N podcast. I am Amy, and I am joined by some very confusing people today, including Missy, huh, Mike, is that me, Tommy, <laughs> and our very special guest Liam. Yo, we are a family of weirdos and a group of creatives going through the story writing process, and we're bringing you along for the ride. And today is a very exciting episode because today is a challenge episode. But we'll get more into that later Um, because today I want to talk about something. And yeah, I thought it'd be fun. So let's get into it. So the uh, first of all, hi. Hello, everyone. Hope you're doing well. If you are, I don't care. Moving on. All righty. So the thing that I wanted to talk about today is the idea of realistic elements required in storytelling. And what I mean by that is long time ago, when I first started uh, wanting to write stories, I had uh, someone I sat down with and I said, hey, you love reading and you love books and stuff. You know, is this a good idea? And she stopped me and she goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. It doesn't have magic in it. And I said, yeah. She goes, okay, before you even tell me your idea, something that you need to think about is how you want your magic to be. I was like, what do you mean? And she said, do you want your magic to just exist? Or do you want your magic to be based on like facts? So do you want people to just have powers out of nowhere? They're born with powers, whatever. There's like no restrictions. They can just do whatever. Or do you want to have um, magical powers where you know it's you you grow and it's like in the bloodstream and you you only have a certain amount of power and you have to grow that power um and you you know once you've depleted your energy you have to build your energy back up i never thought about that before because i was just like well magic's magic it doesn't matter so my question to you guys is well one have you guys ever thought about that and what are your what are your takes on it but also i wanted to see you know what part of storytelling needs those realistic elements of like requiring the restrictions or, or do does storytelling need, you know, those realistic requirements to make it a good story? I think if you're establishing a world that has something unique about it, as opposed to just the everyday common stuff we don't think about in our real lives, Uh, in your case, magic, then you also need to establish the rules that govern the aspect of that world. And it makes for a more realistic story. When you don't have rules, you end up with something like Superman. Like every week, no matter what happens, (laughs) surprise, Superman can deal with it. That's not good storytelling. Because when you have rules, when you have boundaries, it sets up the idea that there can be conflict there can be conflict there can be struggles and that's what helps a character to grow 
Well, I, so I slightly disagree with the Superman one because they do have um, a lot of very set rules. And obviously it's grown over the years. I'm not a huge fan of Superman, but they have rules. Uh, I think that any genre, any story that you write, any world you create has to have rules. And I think that that can be some of the most important in horror stories specifically. Um, if you want somebody to be really scared, you need to let the people know ahead of time what kind of monster or villain is chasing the you know protagonists in there, what their powers are. But the second that you break those rules, the villain becomes less scary because anything's possible. And I, I think that with Superman specifically, there is rules. He can be affected by kryptonite and he has these you know specific set of powers. Is it a good set of rules? Probably not. I mean, it's, it's a little like this person's invincible for the most part. But at least there are boundaries that sort of surround it. See, I think it's interesting because uh, I think that there are story. It depends upon what what is being kind of like focused on in this story. And it doesn't have to be magic. It can be anything. I just use magic as an example because that's kind of what was on my mind. Um, it could even be like the science aspect of things, especially because we all I think we all here pretty much love anything sci-fi and there are sci-fi movies where it's like we're in space deal with it (laughs) and then there are movies where like we're in space and here's how we got to space and here's how we're surviving in space and here's why this is a realistic movie because we're in space you know yeah take a look at the expanse if you want like great that's actually example i was gonna bring up perfect They, they they try and give a very realistic take on it especially when it turn it comes to like g forces that people experience and different speeds mm-hmm. that they can actually go to. Um, they have just a whole set of rules that are naturally based for the most part. And it, it makes it a, a much more unique story in terms of space exploration. Because almost every other space exploration type show that you see, Star Trek being like the best example. Like, you know, it's just you're still on Earth, but you're in space. And you don't think about how the bone structure of different aliens would be different. So if they have one set gravity on the ship, like how is it affecting different creatures? But you know, the expanse runs with that idea. They're like, okay, Mm -hmm. yeah, bone density is different because there's different gravitational forces either by the asteroid belt or on Mars. So that's a, a really good example of how you can use those rules to tell a story specifically. For the expanse, they're actively using those rules. They aren't just passive rules. They're like yeah. major parts within each episode. So for example, like on the asteroid belt, they need their medicine because their bone density is like really small. Like that right there creates this like tension between the belt and the rest of the people. And it's just like that rule, that simple little rule is now becoming something massive. Same with like the G's. If you're like, oh, we can't we can't catch up to the ship uh, because if we go this many G's, we'll like pop a blood vessel in our brain. We don't want to do that. Like they they use it in such a way where it's active problems within each episode, which makes it much more interesting to me. But they're not just random problems that they've thrown in for the sake of, you know, content that week. It's established rules that govern the world they've built, the story world, that develop and continue to govern things over time. Yeah. So there's a logical process with it. I also think that that's due to the fact that they are based off of books. Okay, but... Rather than like Star Trek, where it's just like, oh, fuck me, I didn't make another episode. So when I... I mean, it doesn't <laughs> matter whether it's the TV or the books, though, because like it's still an established rules 
okay, so chapter by chapter versus episode by episode, right? But it's still established rules that aren't just thrown in there for a hot minute and then completely vaporize and don't matter the rest of the time. Oh, yeah. So I, I can give a really bad or a, a good example of bad rules, uh, which is the Witcher TV show on Netflix. <laughs> the, the first season was pretty good. Has everybody here seen it? No. Uh, yes. No. Okay. So spoilers, Missy, in case you're for decide it. It's to watch it. It's not on my list. <laughs> okay. So the Witcher TV show on Netflix has a, a really bad example of um, terrible rules. In the very last episode or last two episodes, they throw every like pre-established rule about magic and how powerful it is and what it can do kind of out the window. And when the um, final place is getting sieged and there's just like magicians everywhere, like throwing different spells around, it doesn't make any sense at all. Like it's all just confusing and magic can do absolutely anything. And at that point, as a, a viewer, I'm like, well, what are the limits to it? Like, you should have established ahead of time, magic is this all-powerful thing that can do anything, but they made it seem like it was a lot more limited in its ability in the beginning, and then when you get to this big battle scene, it's just like, anything goes. And that is a great example of taking rules that you had and just throwing it out the window and uh, just having a really, really bad storytelling process because of that. Can anybody else think of a, a an example with bad rules? Uh, yes, but <laughs> I think it's it's kind of for a different reason. I feel like the rules he it's uh, the man in the high castle. So for anyone who mm. doesn't want spoilers, just don't listen or deafen yourself. Um, <laughs> the man in the high castle. I love that show. I think that show is wonderful. I think it has some of the the best written characters. But my main problem is that. And I, maybe it's not for some people. It's the fact that they go into all this like alternate dimension shit that I was I was so for a realistic and grounded approach of uh, Germany winning World War Two. I was so ready for that. But then they just bring in this like alternate di- dimension stuff at the very end of season one. And I'm like, you're establishing this universe. And then all of a sudden this universe kind of twists. This is how it felt for me coming from a guy who likes whack ass shows. It's like <laughs> this universe twists and you're adding this alternate dimension. I'm like, I kind of liked this realistic grounded approach you were going for. And then all of a sudden now I have to worry about all this extra crap. At least that's how I felt. Yeah. I felt the same. I think part of, the original story that was the intention though was that it was about alternate universes yeah but it yes just, I, it wasn't a very good part of the story yeah i, I think it attracted a lot i feel like they that if they established that that was going to be a major thing early on i would have been like i've been like oh i'm totally okay with this but I, I guess they completely subverted my expectations when they just introduced it all, all of a sudden. I understand that, like, if you were to go back in the second viewing, you're looking at all the tapes throughout the entire first season. And to me, those tapes, I was just like, oh, they're just using old real life footage as like fake propaganda for this world. That's really cool. No, it's actually an alternate world where, where America won the war. I don't know. Yeah, something they had kind of set up from the beginning, though, was that. Like, how can this be possible? None of this has happened. How how could they have actually made these? They're too real. So they were trying to establish from the beginning that something wasn't quite right. Yeah, and I understand that. I just, I feel like they needed to 
push that more because they were so focused on building these wonderful characters that that idea never felt like super big to me. And then you introduce the alternate dimensions and I, I feel like they were just introduced too late for me, at least, to really have an uh, effect. At least that's how I feel. But. I think the way they did it with that show was they were trying to make that the big, the big surprise whoa. season finale. Yeah, I know. So when you're adapting a book into a TV show, you tend oh, is it to a book? change. Yes, it was originally yeah. a book. You tend to change yeah. the pacing of how things are revealed because of the way that you need to set up your cliffhangers. Oh, yeah. I'm probably sure I'd like the book <laughs> if uh, I read it. You probably wouldn't. And the reason really? I say that is <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of changes to make it a more modern take. So I believe in the book it was uh, pictures or books, not video film that were being passed around. I think it was pictures. I can't remember. But they... The TV show actually created new characters for the sake of the show. So Smith's family, that wasn't a thing. Like none of those characters existed. That's in right. The book. Yeah. And he's the I remember Liam playing that. The most compelling he's the character. Best. Yeah, he's the best in, character. Yeah. In the <laughs> in series. The so he's, that's and, a guy from um the uh, not the fifth element. The uh, uh, what is it? The night the uh, night's tale? tale. Yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, um my favorite character of so movie great. all time. Anything. He does such a phenomenal job with it. Um, so right there, they tried to take a book and adapt it to TV, and the book had its own rules, and they kind of had to change them for TV. So yeah, yeah. they were struggling with a lot of different elements to make something that was written a while ago work for a modern time. And, and I think for the most part... kind of... It didn't really flow properly. No, I don't think... I think the problem is, is that... They had just had trouble establishing a rule set that made it yes. flow with the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. Because that idea within itself is extremely interesting to me. But the way they set it up was that that idea was never ever going to exist. This is just going to be a, uh, a grounded reality. And then mm -hmm. it was like, nope. Uh, so that was my my problem. It wasn't necessarily the rules around the alternate dimensions. It's just that those rules were established way too late. I remember seeing the first couple episodes of Man in the High Castle and liking it, but never finishing it. And I'm not entirely sure why, but it, it's interesting to hear that it takes such a like completely different turn from what I thought it was going to. Sometimes that really pays off in storytelling, but other times it's just, it's, mm. yeah, a little much. The show had all the right elements that I really enjoy. They oh, just yeah. didn't take them anywhere, Nazis? and they yeah. wound up focusing. <laughs> hey, now, <laughs> no, <laughs> alternate realities, no, uh, alternate history, things like that. Right? Oh, so um, many good ideas. Mystery. There's sci-fi. It, it's just it's great. Political thriller. Political thriller. Yeah. Um, oh. The problem is that. The original point of the story kind of got lost along the way. Uh, the original characters from the book were so boring on film that they had to invent new characters. But then there's no story for those characters, so they have to invent new story, and that kind of sets the original story aside. Yeah. So it caused it caused the whole show to just go in this weird direction that ultimately you're like you had two different stories really have happening at the same time. And the side story became the interesting one. And the main story just became boring. Yeah. Yeah, you know, pretty much. 
thinking of a, a, a TV show, since everybody here has seen it now, that really destroyed its own rule set uh, was Game of Thrones in the last two mm. seasons. Um, especially mm, yeah. when it dealt with anything that had to do with um, the main pirate guy. Um, he's supposed yeah. to have this gigantic yeah. like fleet of ships that was somehow yeah. hidden behind a couple clouds that mm-hmm. shot a bow and killed a dragon. Yeah. You know, it's like that, if you oh, if you establish boy. realistic stuff, you can't have him go from one side of Westeros to the other in the same amount of time that it takes an army to walk across it. Like there, there's so many times that they just took whatever rules they had and they're like, well, we need the story to work this way, so we'll throw the rules out. Yeah, actually, big my biggest. Problem problem with the show was travel they established earlier on how long it takes to travel from this part to that part and then by the end of the show by the end of the series it's like you're blinking back i and blink forth. and now i'm <laughs> transporting magically into another city i and i hate the first that so episode much. of the show they say from king's landing to winterfell it took them like two months or something it took them a few months but then in the last season it took them like two days it's like, what? And even if it didn't take them two days, if it took them two months to travel that, they didn't properly express it to the audience. So as an audience member, when you're just watching the show, you're going, wait, did they just skip time? And you may not recognize it in in like while you're watching it. But it's mm-hmm. something yeah. that your brain picks up on. You go, something wasn't right there. Uh, well, maybe because the fact that they had already established those rules, like the fact that it took so long to travel, they just assumed, yes, you'll know that this is taking place over a long period of time because we've already established those, hey, it takes a long time to travel back and forth rules, but we want to get to more of the plot. So that's maybe why they cut some of that out. I'm not trying to defend them at all. I'm just saying like there are moments where like in a lot of romance books, because they want you to be able to pick up a romance like any of any of the books in a series, they will retell you everything that's happened previously. And I think for TV shows, that's not a good idea. Like, oh, do you remember that time that we traveled? Oh, oh, we're also traveling right now. Like, that's not, it's not fun to watch. So I think the idea is like, hey, we've already established those. Now it's less about the world building and more about finishing this fucking show. I I agree (laughs) with that. But I also think that if some characters are, in transit during part of a plot while other characters are not and something's happening you can't show both of those character sets on the same episode if you're skipping out the transit part like the characters in transit just shouldn't be in the episode at all if they're yeah, in was, transit like it that, that's that's pretty much the entire problem is that like if through an entire season you see people going from one place to another you're like okay we now know it's taking a long time but now like it, from them taking an entire season to do that, now they're just taking an episode to do that to speed along the story. So I think that's what bothered me. Yeah, there's definitely one of the worst problems of the latter two seasons was, and even some of season six. But the invention of teleportation really took a toll on the show. Um, <laughs> but I think a huge, huge problem with it is that something that you don't realize is that during the first, especially the first six seasons, is that there's so many plot lines there's so many different things there's so many interweaving webs that can that you can focus uh, a few on a time on an episode and so say there's people traveling one episode you can say that they start traveling 
the next episode, you can skip a whole episode without that plotline in it. Then another episode, you can say, oh, here's something they're doing or a problem during the travel. And then the next episode, you can say, um, what's it called? That they, they reach their destination. But then in season seven, and especially season eight, all the plot lines combine into one. So you cannot skip to each plot line showing how like giving a better passage of time as the whole sh- almost the entirety yeah. of the show worked but with season seven especially eight there's just one plot line that you're following so you just you can't really skip around you just kind of have to teleport to uh, make the story go forward instead of making it boring now okay we understand that the game of thrones writers they were like oh we want to get to star wars so we got to finish this so they were they did it a got crappy sloppy job. at the end it got sloppy and we understand that well, the showrunners specifically oh yeah yeah so if you're taking that out of account mm-hmm. okay and with man in the high castle and with game of thrones they're based off of books right so what i'm thinking is are you looking Wait, for a second? No, just hang on. You know, I have a thought and then it's just like whew. it just evaporates. Where'd it go? Yeah, like, that's yeah. me every time I open my mouth. <laughs> um oh, okay. So if you if you have shows that are based off of books, you're automatically, I think, gonna have a hard time transitioning those books into TV shows or into movies, just because that's kind of it's the nature of the beast. They're not written for TV shows or movies. So would it benefit writers and authors to write a story that's easily translated onto screen? Or should that not be the goal? It's just the goal is to have a good book or a good movie. Because I, it's hard because there are so many book adaptations that are just absolute trash. And so is it because they were written bad? Or is it because they weren't written for the screen, but because they're so beloved, people want to see them on the screen? You know. Well. Yeah. When you're making something in writing and it's really, really amazing, sometimes it can only really be amazing in written form. It doesn't translate to the screen. And that's not a failure of the author. That's simply the reality of the world we live in. And I don't think an, al- an author should feel pressure to change what they're writing to that oh one day if this happens to be adapted to screen it'll work because that can take something away from the their finished work to begin with i think that it's all about the medium that you are viewing or reading um your first bit of content on i think there's a reason why video game movies almost universally always suck um <laughs> because when when you play a video game, you are in control. You are experiencing what's happening as the character. They are written very, very different than a movie would be written. Same thing as a book. A lot of times it is written so that you can discover while you're reading. You can imagine the um, the sights and the sounds and the smells. You can create your own world. And that's different because the pacing might just be a little bit changed. If you go to watch a movie that was based upon a book and you imagine a character one way and it's like totally different on screen, it might throw you off quite a bit. That's why I am a little strange sometimes. If I know that there is a book and movie adaptation, I will oftentimes watch the movie first. And the reason why I do that is because I don't want to picture characters very vividly in um my mind and then joe go to try and watch the movie and then be almost confused because my brain already knows what they're supposed to look like so i know that's 
totally backwards from what most people actually do. They read the book and then they complain about the movie. I watch the movie and then I go, oh, okay, that book was better. <laughs> yeah, I think it makes for a more enjoyable experience when you watch the movie first and then read the book. Because, yeah. again, like you said, the visualization, you don't have to create a world and hope it works. Like, you can just visualize it already. And then... When the book is, you know, typically better than a movie, you you enjoy the entire experience more instead of having a great time and then a disappointing time. Can... Maybe it's because I love shit movies, <laughs> but I actually disagree with you guys. And the reason why is because I love reading. I love books. I love them so much. And when you get to see something that you've pictured inside your head and either you've struggled or you haven't struggled, but it comes to life, it is a weirdly magical moment that I absolutely love. Like I, the only time I was ever truly disappointed with how a movie turned out was Aragon because I really enjoyed those books. The movie was absolutely shit. That was the only time that I was like, nope, still, I still don't, I don't like this. Other than that, all of these mo these like mo book to movie adaptations, I, I actually really enjoy because I, I do, I love that magical moment of like, oh. <gasps> I, this is it. Like I've imagined this and I've, I've wondered about these characters. And I guess I also go in there with a mindset of like, it is not the book. It's not going to be the book. It can't be the book. So I am going to enjoy it for what it's worth. And I love that. I love being like, hey, this is the story that you love and you care about but you get to see it from a different perspective. I just kind of look at it like like fan fiction almost. <laughs> I think <laughs> like it's just like a little different, but it's still all the characters that you know and love. Well, hopefully. But something for me when I really enjoy a story regardless of the media it's presented in, I want more. I always want more, right? That's you know you've done the, a good job when you leave your audience wanting more. And so when I read a book, and it's going to be adapted to film, it's usually disappointing because the film inevitably gives you less than what the book can give you because of time constraints. So when I watch a film first and then I go and read the book, it's like I get even more from the book. I get more details, more scenes and experiences. So to me, it makes the book even better. Well, see, that's the thing is that I read the book, I watch the movie and I go back and read the book <laughs> and then it's fine. <laughs> you know, I was thinking of uh, this rule breaking in video games and how important it is as a player. If you're experiencing a story or you're just playing the game, you don't want to have the game break rules on you. And uh, one example that I had is there's a game called Deus Ex. Um, there's a whole series of games and Human Revolution is uh, one of the games in there. And it's uh, a very immersive sim so you can go in and you can sneak around, uh, you can get uh, power-ups that make you super strong, you can fight head-on, you can set booby traps, you can do a lot of different things, and it's a game that kind of very much adapts to your playstyle. It has options for everything. It's very similar to like the Dishonored series or Prey or anything that is an immersive sim. Well, specifically for Deus Ex Human Revolution... You can play however you want, but then there's one moment in the game, which is the first big boss fight, and they force you to play in one particular style. And if you've upgraded to like entirely stealth, which is how I usually play games like that the first time through, 
it was incredibly difficult to beat this boss and it was punishing. And to me, that is a great example of them breaking the rules that they have established because they have said to the player, you can do this however you want. And then all of a sudden they take it back and go, oh, no, no, you have to do it our way. And that is a terrible way to design a video game if the rules are established ahead of time. Uh, Now there's other games. It's like, no, you have to do it our way. And you know that ahead of time. So going in and playing those games, that's not breaking their own rules. That is what has been, you know, set forth. Something just a teeny bit on the ball with that. The new Dooms, for example, Doom 2016 establishes right away that you're the Doom Slayer, whatever. You can do whatever you want. Use whatever gun you want. Let's go. Let's have some fun. And a lot of people's problems with Doom Eternal is that it took that away and it was like, you have to play in this specific play style. And I actually think that is a case where, yes, it's establishing from the the very start of Doom Eternal that it's, it's okay. These are the new rules. But if you were, I know a lot of fans were upset with the fact that you couldn't have this like, oh, I can use this weapon only or this weapon only. No, you have to like, you have to follow the the rules, the new Doom Eternal set for everything. And that pissed a lot of people off. But I also think <laughs> they did it in such a way where them like reinventing and breaking the rules from their previous game worked out beautifully for, for them. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that if you're playing a game like Doom 2016, it's really fun because you're super powerful. Doom Eternal is a different game, and I don't mm-hmm. think it breaks the rules if you know that they're two separate games. Yes, imagine I if agree. you're yeah, and I know you're you're saying this, but imagine in Doom 2016, you are just going through and killing everything, and then right near the end, they're like, okay, by the way, we're gonna change the way the weapons work, and now you have to do it this way. That would be major rule yeah, breaking, and suck. I could totally understand that. If I was a player, I'd be like, well, this game sucks, but. Because from the very beginning, they let you know in Doom Eternal that it is going to be a different way to play. Um, I thought it turned out much better. It was one of the most, you know, exhilarating games I've played in a long time. So I'm I mean, glad I, they broke the rules. I, I agree totally. And I don't think necessarily they're breaking the rules, but they set a certain expectation, I guess. Uh, and maybe the fans really blew that out of the proportion, too, because they were expecting just more of doom 2016 but i guess the fans set their expectations to the rule set of 2016 so when they got the new game they're like ew like these are a completely new rule set yeah i guess that's true if if you're advertising it whether it's going to be a movie or show or book or anything and you've established a world or a sort of play style you should definitely let the people know ahead of time before they purchase your product. Like this is going to be a little bit different. And um, they, I don't think they did that with doom eternal that much because on its surface, you're just like the demon slayer. It's great. You can kill everybody. It's awesome. But when you actually think about gameplay, which is the main way you interact with a story like that, it is a very different experience, even though it's a shooter and it looks the same at its core. It functions so much differently. Liam, are there any games that you can think of that have like really well established uh, rule sets or that broke them? I um, mean, I know you're pretty big into Apex and I know they do a bunch of updates. Um, do the updates change the way that you had approached the game before in a negative impact or positive or literally like every update is there is a new change of how you're supposed to play the game. What's the best way, the most effective way to play the game? Usually I don't follow that style. Usually I don't follow the meta. 
I just uh, try to do what's ever fun, whatever. It's always worked for me, but sometimes Apex has updates that they'll have a new character and their abilities are too good for the game because, you know, it's a multiplayer game, um, not a single player. So, like, adding new stuff that's overpowered it affects the game a lot more than it would with a single-player game because with a single-player game, usually you'd have to earn something that's overpowered and you have a lot of fun with it. But when you add something that's too good for a multiplayer game, then it just makes everyone's fun go down, at least, at least yeah. in my opinion. And Apex has done that a lot with characters and guns. Usually they're, they're a lot better than most multiplayer games that I've played. But they've done it, I won't say a lot, it's kind of harsh, um, but they do it a good amount. And this last season, this last big update, it's called Season 10, it added a character that's very overpowered, and it buffed guns, and added a new gun that's overpowered, and added characters. A lot of people aren't very happy with this new season, because there's so many overpowered things, but in my opinion, it's not as bad as people say, because if you add a lot of overpowered things then it actually starts to become a bit more balanced than you add, like, one or two overpowered things. Yeah. At least in my opinion. Well, I think for games like that, it's definitely interesting because it is an ongoing thing. It's not just like, hey, we made this game and we're not going to do any updates to it. I mean, obviously, there's, like, glitch and bug updates that you can have for a game. But because a game like Apex, it is ever-evolving. That's the whole point. You know, it's an online game that adapts to its players. And I think that kind of rule breaking for games like those whether it's Fortnite or apex or um overwatch or whatever like i i think it they you have to keep people interested in some way shape or another so sometimes i think it has to break its own rules in order to to keep people coming back and i know that people who are established might be like there's bullshit but well it, so what i'm, I'm trying to figure out is uh, the way that a game like that tells a story is oftentimes through the gameplay that you are experiencing. And I know that there is an actual like official story. There's lore and stuff like that. But because you are creating your own story as you go in video games a lot of times, especially if it's um, something like that, does it change the way that you make your own stories? I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out. It, it When it changes the rule set and breaks the the things that you did does it make it less enjoyable to um, approach that content from a storytelling perspective? Well, usually a big focus for, I feel like a lot of stories are that like there's established rules in the story and either like something to do with an item, an artifact, the main villain or the main character, the main hero, there's usually something about these things that break. There's like one thing that breaks the rules and that's what makes the story, that's what like starts it and makes it ongoing and interesting is how is this thing breaking the rules. But it really depends on what that thing is and like how you're breaking the rules and how much it is. I think it's fine to break the rules once or twice, but if it keeps on happening and it doesn't make sense, then it's not fine when you're making a story. I, I will say that 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 is actually true because whether it's video games or not, like there's sometimes when you are watching something or you're playing something and like the established world that you know if they can do it really well like let me think of like the stanley parable or portal it's like okay you have this game you have this goal this is what you're going to do and now it's only this all along it's the same storyline but it kind of breaks what you're supposed not what you're supposed to do but it i guess it changes your perspective which can 
be like changing the rules. And so maybe this is not a good example, but I feel like stuff like that, it's like, oh, this is fun. This is not what I was expecting. They establish these things and then they're circumventing their own established stuff, but it's actually really good and really enjoyable. So if you can do it right, I think it's fine. But if it's just like, hey, I I can wield the force and I didn't, I couldn't before. And now I can wield the force twice as much as you can. And you're like, what? Wait, what? They're like, yeah, also I can, I don't know, bring people back from the dead with the force. Um, you know, like stuff like that. Like that's like, wait a minute, that that was never established. What the heck? Yeah, I think for both of your points, for, for Liam, I understand the idea of taking your established set of rules and introducing something that changes the way that characters interact with those rules and maybe breaking it just a little bit, having, you know, a MacGuffin that is super powerful that people need to, you know, steal or whatever, you know, typical MacGuffin stuff. And I think that with video games, the, the way that they specifically, specifically set up the different rules around them, you wouldn't basically go into like portal and then by the end you have a machine gun and you're just like shooting the robots i think that would be what i could be really fun but would it because <laughs> i don't know if, if you wanted to do that you would just play half-life true okay i don't know the, the thing about video games is uh, a lot of times these are very unspoken rules so i think what is very true what we're on the subject of apex what's very true to apex is movement Movement is extremely important. And if you broke a movement rule, say you took sliding out the game, oh my goodness, would people be pissed, right? But it's not a rule that's explicitly said. It's not said that Apex needs to have movement. It's just something that everyone enjoys and we've come to make up as our own rule within the game. I think within storytelling, it is very explicit rules that are either literally said in the story or established up front by the author to be like these are the rules to make it like to tell our story but can you have a story where it's just like yeah i have magic or yeah i'm in space and still enjoy it without having explanation of why I mean, that you're in space or like the technical aspects of why you're in space or the yes, technical I, aspects I, of magic i think you can i think it depends on on how it's presented though yeah i think that's the key is if the presentation is, you know, here's a magical world and somebody has powers and it's just presented like they have powers, you don't really need to know, okay, is it because it was in their blood or is it because they earned it or they did it? But if later on in the story, like somebody really needs to work hard to get their powers and somebody else is just like born into it right now, you have like a conflicting rule set. And so if you just establish something, even if it's not told to the audience and you stick with it, then it will make sense. But as soon as you go back on something that you already said, um, when you are creating these worlds, that's when people start to pick up on it and go, wait a second, that just that that doesn't make a lot of sense here. What if you had like a story where it was like you get your magical powers by uh, eating a specific berry? off of a bush right okay that's you that's it that's the whole thing um but then later on later on uh you find out oh yeah we've been making these idiots eat berries because we have access to the berries so we wanted to make sure that like we could control who has magical powers it's like wait a minute then how do you have magical powers it's like oh yeah it's just like you believe in yourself and now you have maybe that's a again a bad example but 
think it's a bad is example. that circumventing it or is that because you're now changing the rules but you're using the change of rules as a plot twist maybe i think if the change of rules still can fall within whatever parameters the rules have already been established then you can kind of get away with it by saying, hey, yes, we have these set of rules, but there's also this exception to the rules, but here's why there's an exception to the rules. Not just, oh, there's this exception, just accept it. I, I have actually, a, uh, I feel like a perfect example to that. It's, and I loved this, in Loki specific, I'm sorry, we're talking about Marvel again. In Loki, they, what they did was like, well, this device can detect anomalies. Okay, cool. You're going to text anomalies and we can stop the timeline from diverting. Well, what was it? Female Loki was hiding in apocalypses. And that was like, it was like a way of breaking the rules, but it making sense why the rules were broken. Oh, okay. I think about it this way. Uh, as a kid, I would play cops and robbers with people in the neighborhood, right? Yeah. And <laughs> you go around Good as times. a cop and a robber and you shoot each other with fake guns and, you know, Inevitably, what happens is some dumb kid like me is a robber and gets shot by a cop. But then I go, oh, no, no, I got a shield. I, I have a shield now. And then you're like, wait, what? Like, robbers don't have shields. You can't just make a bubble out of nowhere. And that's the sort of rule breaking that if you're like doing a story and all of a sudden something that has never happened happens and it doesn't have a lot of explanation or it doesn't it's not grounded in reality. It makes that experience so much worse because I know yeah. that a lot of people yeah. did not want to play cops and robbers with me every time I pulled out a shield afterwards. So <laughs> um, I hate to do this. Can we take a like five minute break? I have to pee so bad. <laughs> I forgot to pay before we started. No. So let's keep talking. Okay. All right. Bye. Yeah, let's keep talking. Right. <laughs> Favorite childhood memories. I'm going potty too. Okay. I can't Let's keep you. talking. Let's say something really profound and interesting so that she has to put the part in. I got nothing. Um, you chose the two worst people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could just have dead silence for two minutes. I'm trying to think. I'm going to look through my Steam list real quick and see... Like, if there was a game that I played that was just really great. Oh, man, What's... yeah, one of the first ones. So, um, I don't know if you've ever played it, Liam. Tom played it, and it, like, wrecked his mind, but it's called Antichamber. And... I haven't played through that yet, and I... Oh, what is the name? What is the name of that? It's a specific type of geometry that breaks the laws of all physics. I I literally looked this up. Please, it, please, it, will, it breaks the, uh, the death. You know, uh, basically, it, the way that the game antechamber works is it's very much like Portal, where you have a gun that does certain things. But when you're walking around um, the universe in antechamber, uh, you could go down a hallway, like go down a flight of stairs, and it's an infinite uh -huh. flight of stairs, and you just keep going. And then you go, okay, wait, wait, this is too much. I'm going to turn around. And as soon as you go back up one flight of stairs, you're in a different room. So it breaks the way that you approach it it's very um uh, like mc escher type rules where like you can walk on the ceiling and not realize it and then you jump and all of a sudden you're on the ground you like flip upside down i'm not doing a yeah. great job explaining this but it is a cool game because that constantly breaks its own rules and you have to figure out each rule set for each individual puzzle you're doing it's it's like the idea that you're in a room with two doors and uh you go through like the door in front of you and then you end up in the same room you just left 
Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the idea. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good example for quality rule breaking because I think that what they established in there is there really is no rules. You just have to figure it out for each one. And there is. You get different guns that place blocks in different ways. Um, and when they upgrade those guns, you can go back to rooms that you've gone through and puzzles you've done, and it changes the way that you approach it. Did we start again? Oh, we never stopped. I, I guess the point of me asking the initial question in the first place is like, yes, I wanted to see your take on it. But also, like, I don't know, for me, I think it's a really interesting concept about like, hey, making sure you establish the rules of your universe ahead of time. But I also don't think you have to like, I like the idea of just magic being there. I I know that makes it kind of open ending, open ended and a little bit of a Mary Sue moment. But I really enjoy, I, I hate when it is the technical restrictions, if you will, because I really enjoy reading fantasy strictly because it's not realistic. <laughs> like, I like the idea of it's so outlandish and ridiculous, as long as, you know, it's a good good plot line. And, and that's why I also enjoy, you know, romance books, especially like fo- fantasy romance books. Like, sure, there's stuff that's like established but even if it's like you know magic or whatever but i don't know sometimes it's just about the characters and the plot and the relationship between them whether it's romantic or not it's not necessarily about the magic itself or the fact that they're in space or the fact that they can they're you know the long-awaited ancestor of whatever well i I think that this also applies to characters you write if you write like a hard ass who doesn't like anybody and they are just, you know, totally antisocial. And then all of a sudden they fall in love with somebody and they're just like a totally different person. It kind of betrays the rules that you've already established for them. You have to have a reason why that person transitions from character point A to point B. And if you just love, do it Michael. without explanation, yeah. Guys, love. They do it for love. Yeah. That's Come a terrible love explanation. <laughs> that, that's just like saying True. because magic. Oh, dear. Because yeah, because you, because you can magic. have magic without <laughs> rules and have a crazy world, but if you are going to transition, especially your characters, from a point A to a point B or give them a challenge to overcome, make sure that it works with what you've already told story-wise and make sure you're not betraying the material you've already created. I think in that example, the key word is transition. People don't just magically change from one personality to another because, you know, in love but if you show a gradual transformation in that person's personality as the relationship progresses then it it makes sense because relationships do change you on some level if a person just stays strictly the same stoic hard-ass jerk or whatever that you've already established well then it kind of makes the romance pointless but but love. But love. But love is how they destroyed Jamie's arc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bring it back to Game of Thrones. Okay. They, they did. Sometimes when it comes to the rules, though, it can be really simple, basic world building rules that shouldn't matter, but sometimes they do. And for me, a great example is in Star Trek Voyager. So a series that wasn't adapted from anything. Great series. I really love the series. You all should watch the series. They establish roughly that it takes about 1,000 light years to travel one year back to Earth. The opposite. That's a really 
it, it takes one year to travel I'm sorry, one thousand. One year to travel one thousand light years. Yeah. Sorry. So they established that it takes roughly one year to travel one thousand light years back to Earth, and it's a really easy way to keep track of this really huge distance between their destination and where they got stranded. But then throughout the series, there are constant uh, examples of them breaking that, like, oh, we have to travel over here and it's, you know, 15 light years and they travel there in a few hours. It's like, wait a minute, the math doesn't sound like it works out for that because (laughs) (laughs) you can get a little less than three light years in a day on the established rules. So when all of a sudden they break that and then it's like, oh, we were able to get 200 light years closer to home and that shaved another two years off and i'm like wait a minute (laughs) stop for a second can we redo that math and like even when they're breaking it it's constantly there's they break it in all different kinds of mathematical ways it just there's no rhyme or reason to it but then they keep coming back to yeah we've uh we've knocked this much time off of a trip and it equals that much light years i'm like okay you're re-establishing the same rule after having just broken it. That one for me just draws me right out of the story. And it's something simple and it shouldn't matter as much as it does. But I I don't know. How, how do you guys feel about stuff like that? It depends on how much I'm paying attention to that kind of stuff. To be honest, I'm pretty dumb. So when <laughs> I'm watching stuff like that, it doesn't even phase me. I'm like, yay, they went and visited this planet this week. Great. I'm like, thank God it's not the B episode. Awesome. Like, I like that's mostly what i'm paying attention to but i guess i'm not the average it, <laughs> watcher so maybe ask someone else never mind i yeah. mean i hate i hate to do you know pretty much everyone but amy and i here but like star trek fans are absolute nerds so <laughs> they are going to to you know follow that like light year rule system well i feel like if you were to watch something like uh once upon a time <laughs> you'd you could be able to you would pick you could pick that apart pick oh, that gosh. apart you could pick that apart so easily but the point isn't to pick it apart it's just to have fun with the wacky you know scenarios the you're putting these characters imagined characters yeah. and their yeah. stories yeah well again i guess that it's how you present a story as to whether or not the rules really matter. Like, once upon a time, it's a lighthearted, or most of the time it's supposed to be a lighthearted series about, like, whimsical fantasy worlds and how, oops, things got all goofed up, you know? So if the stories are all messed up, it makes sense that all of their rules can get messed up too, and you don't really think much about it. Whereas when you have a show that they're establishing, this is the most advanced uh, spaceship that the Federation has ever created, and this is what it can accomplish. And then you immediately are like, surprise, we're going to just break all that and not explain it. It's like, wait a minute. But then again, I am a big nerd. That's okay. We still love you. I mean, someone's got to explain stuff to us. (laughs) By the way, the the word was non-Euclidean geometry. That is what- Thank you. uh, What? That is what antechamber is based off of. It means you don't use that Greek E in your mathematical equation. I I think it's just a simple idea that um, you're presenting physics in a... It's not simple, but you're presenting physics in a way that breaks (laughs) all known laws. So what I said to Mike earlier was like, you're in a room with two doors and you head into the door in front of you and then you just entered the room you left. That's non-Euclidean geometry. Or like... 
Or like you're walking up a set of stairs and you end up walking on the ceiling. Or, yeah, I was going to say, you walk down a set of stairs and you end up on the third floor instead of the first. You know the M.C. Escher paintings? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's non-Euclidean geometry. All right. Well, that was fun. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So time for the challenges. So what we like to do here is we like to periodically give you a challenge word to help kind of boost your creativity, right? So you can make something that takes you five minutes, five hours, five days, as long as you get those creative juices flowing and enjoy yourself. That's the goal. So whether you make it, you know, directly related to that word or you kind of just use it as inspiration to make something, that's okay. Uh, So the last challenge word that we had, which was given by our lovely guest Liam, was rain, R-A-I-N, raining from the sky, kind of rain, the water. So uh, I'm excited to see what everyone has created uh, this go around. Missy, would you like to go first? Sure, I'd love to go first. Um, so my inspiration, when I heard the word rain, I immediately was taken back to a song I had an idea for probably like 12 years ago and just kind of never did anything with it. And so I immediately just was taken to that song and decided I'm going to adapt this into a poem and ran with it. And so here it is. I get up and see that your clouds are hanging over and your rain is drifting closer. Your storm is coming for me. And as I walk on out, venturing into the lightning that you've made so very frightening, trying to cripple me, you took the sun and sky and you hid them out of sight. You turned my day to dark of night, then thrust me into it blind. And you know that I can't beat your rain, but I don't have to play your game. I'll bunker down until it's behind. Because your winds will die down and your rain will dry up, your lightning bolts will be out of reach, your clouds will drift past and the sun will come up, and as I feel its warmth surrounding me, then from your storm I'll be free. The air is bitter cold, and my world seems underwater as your storm is pounding harder. Yes, I'm feeling its sting. The thunder's deafening, drowning out all thought and reason. Your thick fog seems out of season because I can't see a thing. The rain is pouring down and the flood is rising higher. I don't know when it will expire, but I know it won't stay. And although I'm dodging from your hail, I know that in the end you'll fail. Your winds will never blow me away. Because those winds will die down, then your rain will dry up, and your lightning bolts will be out of reach. Your clouds will drift past, and the sun will come up. And as I feel its warmth surrounding me, from your storm, I'll be free. And I know you think you're very clever interfering with my weather. But if you had had any smarts, you would have never start. Because storms might be strong. I know as fast they come, so fast they go. A storm cannot forever stay. And I'll reclaim the day your winds die down. And your rain dries up. And your lightning bolts have moved so very far out of reach. Then your clouds will drift past. And yes, my sun will come up. And as I feel its warmth surrounding me, then from your storm, I'll be free. I'll let it drift out to sea. Your rains cannot defeat me. Yes, from your storm, I'll be free. Missy, I love that. That was a great poem. Um, I would, I can definitely see how you took it from like a song, and I can definitely see like you could have like really beautiful music kind of building up to it. Um, but yeah, I really like that. Super visually like appealing to listen to. I I actually don't think I would like it as a song to be honest. I think it works better as poetry. Um, and I know that you specifically adapted it to be more poetry, but I think it would be a little bit rambly as a song, but it works as poetry instead. In my head, this is a jazz song, 
and it's kind of bouncing back and Ooh. forth and you have the brass kind of standing in as the different elements of the storm. All right, Tom, get on it. Yeah, I was just about to say the same thing. <laughs> yeah, that that is going to be difficult, but maybe. maybe. I have all the notes in my head, so I'll I'll meet up with you next time we're in person together. Okay, perfect. Well, sweet. I liked how short it was. <laughs> I think it didn't need to be any longer, and I, yeah. I, I liked it was, I don't know, it, it was nice and short, and it was good. Mike, did you want to go next? Sure. So I wrote a song um, a little bit different than the style I typically would write in, but I just wanted to experiment and do some different choices in it. So can I, can I take a guess at one instrument you used in there? <laughs> no, you're not allowed to. <laughs> I would <laughs> also have tried, the right? same guess. Because <laughs> I think I know which one you use. No. <laughs> I, all right, I'll say this. It is a lighthearted daydream staring out a window when it's raining. I thought for sure I was going to have an organ. I thought you were going to put noir yeah. I, effects that is, I was like jamming the no, whole I time. Was I was too. dancing so in my seat. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was, I was looking at me like, like, what are you doing? <laughs> I want to like, I need a whole album of shit like that. That's mm -hmm. so good. I will say it didn't feel like lighthearted daydreaming though. It was like, 
it it felt like it was like lighthearted into like like full blown dissociating into a high fantasy sort of realm or something. Yeah, I like same. immediately got an image of a cartoon video game character frantically running through its world trying to avoid raindrops from hitting it. Oh, that's cool. Oh yeah, I didn't that yeah, I could totally see that. I got the exact. I got someone just like strolling down the street, like with a really happy, like go get him attitude. And he's smiling, looking at the sky. He's like, it's pretty good. I like this. Yeah. I'm digging it. But that's some, that's definitely moody music. 100%. You post this, I guarantee you <laughs> millions of teens around the world are going to be listening to this when it's raining. <laughs> <laughs> this is how it feels when my mom says I can't play with my fifth iPad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> There was a hair flip you couldn't see because it's all, you know, audio. Where the power's been out anyway. for two days and I'm out of battery power. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the basic idea for creating this song was I wanted to have um, a lot of airy, light, like rain type sounds in the background, a lot of arpeggiation. And then while I was writing it, I just wanted to have like a really hard driving beat as well. Not like super hard, but kind of just like a chill, but you know, bass heavy. Then I got to the point in a song where I, I really wanted to transition from like somebody is just watching a rainstorm out the window to lightning strikes and then it pours. And so the big organ at the end is when it starts pouring. Oh. And they're just, you know, watching it rain throughout the window and letting the like the drops run down the window, take them away as they're kind of just zoning out and they're just imagining this world full of rain. Mm. that's uh that's the whole inspiration for it took about uh it took about a day or so to to fully uh work it i've worked it over a couple hours back and forth but i i wanted to do a lot more with the song and again you kind of have to always choose a point when it's ready and just release it and mm. there are some things that i would change in it but i'm not going to i think it's done as a project and it's good to you know figure out your your creative abilities and move on and not constantly try to perfect something not that there's anything wrong with perfecting something but sometimes especially for a challenge like this you just need to make and go there there's like one part i think it was around the two minute mark that it like the organ seemed weird it seemed like it tripped up or something i don't know so maybe like look look back into that but other than that i thought it was a good finished product unless it was like purposeful well, there, there is uh, tubular bells going when the organ's going, and they strike just before with one note that leads into the same note the organ's doing on the next one. So it's kind of like a, uh, it, it, it does stagger it a little bit because um, I didn't want it to just be organ. I wanted it to be a little bit uncomfortable listening to it. So I, that could be okay. it. But, you know, obviously, if there's any notes that you have or anybody from the audience has, I'd love to hear them because that's entirely why we made this entire company is to get better at doing stuff like this this is extremely picky for me but this is pretty much the one thing i heard any like anytime you would your your bass would start a note like this like kind of distorted sawtooth wave type thing would play for a little bit and then it would go into a smooth bass that bothered me (laughs) (laughs) those notes just flew right over my head yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly. Same. I did that on purpose because I like the way it sounded. So <laughs> it kind of echoes the chaos of rain, though. Rain isn't a perfect pattern. So, all right. Uh, well, I'm done. Well, nice. Amy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Cool. So, my rain project um, 
I thought a lot about rain and I thought a lot about how I could do it. And honestly, the only thing I could not get out of my head was how there was going to be a lack of rain. And one of like my biggest fears is there not being like enough water around. So like being in the desert just kind of terrifies me. And so I was thinking like, okay, why am I in the desert? Well, not me, but like what, the story. Why is it going to be in the desert? What's happening? What's going on? So that's kind of how I, I thought of, of this. So even though it doesn't really have anything to do with rain, I just like the idea of the lack of rain and kind of the feelings behind that. <laughs> okay. It's so hot. I, I can feel the heat settling into my skin. Even tucked into the shade of this cavern, I could feel it penetrating my bones. But with no rain to quench this unending desert's thirst, the heat turns my insides to fire, making it difficult to breathe. There's a sliver of light coming from the crack just large enough to show me my surroundings. But after being here for two days, I'm sick of seeing the rock and the sand that makes up my inevitable tomb because I think I'm going to die here. My leg is broken, shattered into so many pieces, and I used all my strength just to make it this far. But it hurts. Everything hurts. And I don't want to struggle anymore. I'm having a hard time focusing. Is it the lack of water? Is it my fever? I don't know. But things have been slowly going moozy over the last hour, so is that the crunch of sand of someone coming, or am I just hearing things? I struggle to lift my head, and I look down past my useless leg, and I see two blue dots followed by a dark shape emerge from the shadows. There you are. The metallic dripping demon purrs at me, and now I know I'm truly about to die. Little mouse, why did you run from me? I can feel it skulking closer. Is it because you knew I'd love to chase you down? My breath is ragged through my cracked lips. Oh, and you look still so pathetic. My scream is raw as the monster kicks my already broken body. My, my, how you sing so sweetly, my little pet. Pain and adrenaline crackle through my body just enough to clear my vision. Would you sing for me again? The nightmare comes into full focus just as it takes a knee right next to me, scanning me up and down. And with a knife in its grip, it bends forward, caressing my face with the blade's tip. Shall we begin? I wish I was already dead. Our 1754 is, what are you doing? The demon seems to freeze, and I look back down past my feet, with, where another hunter has appeared from the shadows. My captor swivels to meet its kin, swiping the blade across my cheek, and I take a quick inhale, but try to remain as quiet as possible. C9257, are you done already? Assets detained and taken care of, R1754, what are you doing? The mech seems to pause in contemplation for a moment and then shrugs. Just having a bit of fun? The new monster cocks its head, glancing briefly at me and then back to its compatriot, almost as if it's trying to process what it meant by fun. I try to stay as still as possible, but as it straightens its head again, my heart falls when it replies. We'll hurry up and eliminate it. I want to get back to command. 
and as it retreats back into the shadows, my demon looks back down at me. Oh, well, let's at least see how much fun I can squeeze out of you while I can. Its blue, glowing sensors gleam down at me, and I feel the blade sink deep into my flesh, and I know that I am dead. There you go. Damn it, Amy. Why you gotta have robots kill everybody? R.E.Q. Robot Extended Universe! Let's go! All right. So I never intended to have my Bubbles project be anything more than what it was. Um, But I've had a few different ideas kind of rolling around in my head. And um, one of them was C9257 chasing somebody down in the desert. But I didn't like the idea of him chasing or they chasing down uh, somebody. I wanted them to kind of find something. So that's why I introduced a new one. Yeah, so this is me saying, hey, I'm extending the universe and I think I'm going to do a few more of these because I really enjoy and I think I have maybe a good idea of where I want this to go. So really, this entire rain project for you is just like, I don't care. I want to write more of my story. (laughs) Baby. (laughs) Um, No, but I I really did try to like think of a rain thing. And all I kept doing was coming back to the the whole idea of being in a desert. And then I was like, the only thing I can think of that was in the desert was this this dang bubbles project that I want to continue. And I couldn't get out of my head. So I was like, all right, we're going for it. I can just imagine now we're on like episode 200 and we do like our 30th challenge and Amy plays it like completely serious. And at the very end, she's like, C92474. And we're like, God damn it, Amy. (laughs) 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 Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, It's still good. Yeah, it is good. Mm hmm. Uh, actually really enjoyed making this. I wanted it to be more emotional because it was coming from the human's point of view, but I wanted it to be more like scary emotion because that's how I feel being, and the idea of being in the desert is like very terrifying to me. So I was like, why would I be terrified in the desert? Oh, because robots are chasing me, obviously. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so. Everyone's biggest fear in the desert. And then I just try to put more like performance into it. So... Sorry if it was a little too traumatic. Actually, I'm not sorry. Fuck you. I had fun. (laughs) There we go. That's the attitude. There we go. Well, cool. That was uh, the last entry. I don't think anyone else has any any, uh, challenges for the rain project, correct? Cool. Um, Well, then I am going to hand off the next creative word to uh, an unsuspecting uh, person here. And um, hmm, let's see here. Who are any... You know what? Mike, you get to have the, the word. Uh, you tell us what purple. our next challenge word is going to be. Purple. All right. Purple is the next challenge purple. word. For those of you that are listening, you can also feel free to participate in the challenge. If you had made something for the rain challenge, uh, please let us know. You can uh, tweet us at 1L2N Productions. Let me do that again. You can tweet us at 1L2N Productions uh, and show us your creativity and show us all the cool things that you came up with. And if you want to participate in this next one with purple, uh, stay tuned for when we uh, release that next creative challenge podcast. Well, cool. And uh, as we're wrapping up here, I think the only project we kind of have going on going is the um, cursing tree. And Mike, how is that going? It's great. Next. 
<laughs> all righty well thank you for joining us today we really appreciate you guys using your time to listen to us goons and we hope you really enjoyed the shenanigans today if you want to reach us on twitter instagram youtube and reddit we are one l two n productions and we'd love to hear from you uh, and if you like what we're doing and you want to help show your support for what we're doing you can head on over to our patreon and the last word of the day today goes to also mike Take it away. Not everything needs to be murdered by robots. <laughs> no, I can I can do something else. Um, no, no, no. I was really um, hoping you'd stop it. Uh, like that. No. Really um, no, it's your last word of the day. You do whatever you want. That was just the first thing that came to my, my mind. But I don't want it to seem like I'm attacking you. I, thought, I just want it to be funny. You can. That's fine. Um, I'm pretty sure I have a problem when it comes to organs. Pipe organs. I don't think that's a problem, though. I don't think that's a problem. I think that's phenomenal, and I encourage it, and I want more <laughs> of it. Please Missy just loves taking over that off. last word thing, doesn't she? She really Oh, I thought does. we were done. <laughs> I thought we were done. <laughs> no, Cut it quick, say one more thing. Organs. One more thing. Cut it oh. off at organs. No, I, I didn't. I thought we were no. just talking. Shh, shh. I'm sorry. Mike, say one more thing. One more thing. Thank <laughs> you.